It's August 18th, 18th, 2021. Welcome to the new reality edition of Bite Marks Cafe right here on Hawaii Public Radio, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And of course, first up, we'll have Hoala Grevy. He's the founder and CEO of Powbox. And of course, he's here to tell us about uh, a HIPAA, which is Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Uh, compliant email tool called Email AI. And then we'll be joined by Patrick Karjala and Jesse Thompson, who are here to tell us about their work in virtual reality and something called the metaverse. But first up, I want to let you know, um, if you're looking for a career in tech, our friends over at Purple Maya are launching their next Salesforce certification training called Hiapo, and it requires no previous coding experience they're looking for hardworking, motivated individuals who are interested in a tech career. And over the next 12 weeks, students develop in-demand skills uh, to pass Salesforce certification and enter the job market. So the um, three-week prep class starts on August 24th, and that's coming up pretty quick. So if you are interested, you just go to purplemaya.org slash hiapo, and that's spelled hi APO. I'll put that up on our show notes for later on tonight. And of course, right now, I want to welcome Hoala Grevy. And of course, he's a longtime friend of Bite Marks Cafe. He's a founder and CEO of Powbox. And he's here to tell us about a new HIPAA compliant product called Email AI. Welcome to the show, Hoala. How's it, Bert? Thanks for having me. Long time no talk, man. Yeah, man. Where's my, where's my, the kind, Spam Musubi? <laughs> You probably get better spam musubi there in Hawaii than uh, San Francisco, where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm gonna make one for you. Well, Hawala, um, I know it's been a while since uh, I've had you in the studio, but you're you're in San Francisco, big and successful now with Pow uh, Pow Box. Uh, but before we get into you know the um, email AI, tell us you know a little bit about the work that you guys do and and what is you know what exactly is this HIPAA compliant stuff for people that might not know about it. Yeah, sure. So the the niche we we found for ourselves was this notion around HIPAA compliant email, and you know this is specifically for U.S. healthcare organizations that face HIPAA compliance hurdles and protected health information. And unlike the incumbents in the secure email space that involve portals, downloads, PGP keys, and all sorts of friction. Uh, we found a way to eliminate the friction, deliver the email securely straight to your inbox without any portals or downloads, and maintain uh, the security compliance uh, to our delivery. And we backed that up with several patents and also the HITRUST CSF certification, which is the gold standard of security certifications in U.S. healthcare. And that's that's great, and that's a great niche. You know, when when HIPAA, HIPAA first came out, I mean, uh, the idea of of uh, protecting personal information was was important. And I think more so now, uh, especially with uh, you know the uh, uh, vaccine, and and now everybody's requiring vaccination, uh, you know, copies of their vaccination cards and. You know, reports of uh, you know your attesting to the fact that you've got vaccinated. I mean, a lot of that is is part of that whole health information that needs to be kept confidential, right? Yeah, HIPAA just turned twenty five years old this month. Uh, it's not going away, mm-hmm. and it's an important uh, regulatory framework in U.S. healthcare. 
And unfortunately, uh, you know, if anyone remotely connected to U.S. healthcare knows, it's uh, it's woefully behind. So a lot of our customers, um, they don't, they haven't used anything in regards to email in the workplace mm-hmm. when they come to us. Mm-hmm. They're just using the fax machine and and phone calls, which you know are just terribly antiquated and inefficient. Yeah, yeah. So you know and. Uh, I think uh, what you folks have done is is uh, really really interesting and and found that right niche, and with some of the new products. And I know I, I was reading your newsletter, and you have a new email AI product. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and and where does the AI kind of fit into this this uh, mix of of uh, creating uh, a more secure email? Yeah, sure. So just to get everyone on the same page. Artificial intelligence can generally be defined as computer systems that are able to perform tasks that normally require human intelligence. This, of course, includes visual perception, speech recognition, decision-making, and translation and transcription. So I kind of prefer a more simple definition, and it's just AI is whatever that hasn't been done yet. And when it comes to email AI, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's quite obvious that there's a lot that hasn't been done yet. So uh, circling back to our first email AI solution, every month we hold a Zoom social mixer for our customers and prospects and, you know, we invite them to a Zoom, uh, preferably during Pahana hours. We deliver beverages of their choice to their home, wherever they are, anywhere in the country. And then we just kind of talk about stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And during our our last Zoom social mixer, one of our customers um, asked us about transcribing audio attachments that are being sent from their corporate voicemail system via email. And his concern was his end users listening to these voicemail attachments in public places. And in his opinion, that constituted a HIPAA breach threat. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to mitigate the threat. And so what he asked us was, can you develop something that converts these audio attachments to text? And uh, we were able to turn around a solution for them uh, within a week. And what we did was we leveraged natural language processing, or NLP, to transcribe these audio files on the fly as they come in uh, through our email inbound security solution that we provide, and then insert that transcribed text into the message body and securely deliver it to the end user while leaving the original audio attachment in place. So now their users, they can still listen to the attachment if they want to, Mm -hmm. but it's a heck of a lot easier just to parse that transcription in the body of the email. So that's really neat and cool. And we've got that going for several of our customers now. And I think that's going to be a real hit in the marketplace because um, it, it kind of meets the crossroads of security, ease of use, and reliability. So I'm pretty excited for that one. Oh, well, yeah. No, that sounds great. I mean, I think uh, you know anybody with voicemail has uh, the, some of the benefit of, of transcription if, you know, if your voicemail or your provider provides that. But uh, to actually... Take something and and uh, transcribe it and then secure it. I think that's that's great. And you guys were able to turn that around pretty quickly. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? 
the, our customers' voicemail systems, they're largely on-premise, mm-hmm. right? They're legacy systems on-premise. They don't have budget, need, or timing to swap these things out, right? They just need a solution right now to lower the risk of a HIPAA breach in this one vector. And so when you think about AI, we can, I think we can all agree you need to connect to the cloud to improve and enhance the intelligence of your AI solution. So what we can, you know, what we figured out together on follow-up calls was, hey, your on-premise voicemail system is never going to connect to the cloud for any of this. This thing's 10, 15 years old, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so let us do that AI for you because we're providing inbound email security and encryption as it is, you know, ransomware, phishing attack, phishing protection, all this good stuff. This is just an extra value add we can provide you on these certain types of email. And, you know, they're all about it because it's seamless and secure. Uh, so that, that's that's the beginning of our email AI for, foray. That's great. Uh, but we see an entire wave of opportunity uh, around the e-facts and workflow automation. Uh, it's just accelerated during the pandemic. These, um, you know, getting rid of the fax machine and switching to fax to email services or e-fax, ugly secret in healthcare. The fax is the dominant form of communication. Uh, and now much, a lot of these are coming to e-fax and there's tons of workflow automation we can do there. And I think that'll keep us busy for the next five years alone. Well, Hawala, you know, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to just give you a chance to say something about the uh, uh, Kahikina STEM Scholarship Awards uh, real, real quick. Yeah, thanks for it. Yeah, so the primary objective of the Box Kahikina STEM Scholarship is to encourage Native Hawaiians to pursue careers in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We've been doing it for three years now, and in this latest year, uh, we tripled our recipient base, so we have nine recipients this year. The year before was three, and the year before that was one. And the scholarship is recurring in nature, so it's a thousand a year every year until you graduate with a five-year minimum. You have to be Native Hawaiian, pursuing a STEM-related major, and enrolled in an accredited college or university. Uh, we don't care what school you went to, what island you're from, or even how good your grades are. Uh, we really want to encourage Native Hawaiians to pursue careers in STEM. Hey, that's uh, hey, Hawala, That's great, and and that's uh, a great example of of how you continue to give back to Hawaii, uh, even if you would move away. <laughs> I still think you do a lot for Hawaii. So, uh, we will put that up on our show notes for later on. And of course, uh, Hawala, keep doing the great work, and Mahalo for joining us today. Robert, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Sure thing. And of course, uh, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll be joined by Patrick Karjala and Jesse Thompson. And we'll talk about virtual reality and augmented reality as well as the metaverse. This is Bike Marks Cafe. Support for Bike Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. 
Welcome back to Bike Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm happy to welcome Patrick Karjala. He's a developer over at Kilo Hoku VR. And Jesse Thompson, he's a technical director of anatomical imaging over at the John A. Burns School of Medicine. And, of course, uh, they're here to talk about virtual, virtual reality, augmented reality, and the metaverse. I want to welcome you guys to uh, Bite Marks Cafe. Thank you so much. Hey, Bert. Great. Oh, thanks, Bert. Great yeah. to be here. So, so I know we've got uh, not a whole lot of time, but uh, this topic is of, of, of great interest. And I did want to give you guys oh, a yeah. little bit of a chance to talk a little bit about the VR work that you're doing. And, and maybe we'll start with Patrick and the work that that uh, Kilo Hoku is doing with uh, VR. Sure. So Kilo Hoku VR is a virtual reality sort of um, simulation of sailing and navigating on the Hokulea. Uh, and it's intended to help train and teach people who want to learn more about the celestial navigation portion of Native Hawaiian wayfinding. And so we developed this application through a class that we started at the University of Hawaii, along with um, the three other team members on it, who are Karinoe, uh, Anna Sikink, and Dean Lotus. And we've basically finally gotten into a point where you can now actually download it from our website. Uh, it's free, available for anybody who wants to get it as kind of a thanks to everybody who's helped us acquire the knowledge to build this application. And we're currently at a point where we're finally able to start porting it to more platforms aside from the one that we originally developed it on. So we're really excited to be starting on that work uh, just this past weekend, actually. So, so Patrick, I mean, like, is uh, Kilo Hoku uh, a project, or is it a company, or is there, you know, are, are you um, thinking of uh, advancing it to more of a business? So we've had a lot of discussions around this. Right now, it's just a project. Um, the team that are working, that has been working on it, has been thinking of forming a company to do additional work in virtual reality. And we've actually been talk, in talks with some local folks here in the state of Hawaii to develop some uh, virtual applications for them. Uh, but we have not yet formed a company around it. Um, it's still under discussion. Okay, okay. Well, I... I... Uh, I'm excited to hear where things go with uh, with uh, your project and, and VR. And, of course, uh, Jesse Thompson, I, I know you from all the work that you've been doing with uh, this sort of imaging of anatomical, uh, you know, subjects. And you've actually created a, a business around that, along with the work that you're doing over at the uh, Jabsum. So tell us a little bit about maybe the... Uh, you went to some of the startup um, accelerators, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, so uh, at the med school, we, we, we kind of did a spinoff business uh, through uh, Accelerate UH and mm -hmm. UH Ventures, mm -hmm. uh, which was Rad3D. Um, a lot of it is around yeah the medical imaging side, and Rad3D is kind of a, a, a web version uh, viewer for medical imaging that we wanted to make some of these 3D models more accessible because a lot of that software is really kind of high-end radiology software. So. Definitely wanted to make imaging accessible but secure. Yeah, definitely had conversation with Hola about HIPAA in the past, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of where we led with that. But yeah, the the definitely in the medical school, um, especially with COVID, uh, we've we've taken a hybrid approach, and a large part of that has been creating virtual reality models for the medical students uh, in in combination with uh, with kind of webinars, and it's been it's been pretty amazing. We've we've almost gotten 500 different medical models we've made over the last uh, year. And it, it's doubled during during COVID, basically, like the amount we've been creating. 
And so I'm curious, you know, in terms of mm-hmm. both of what you folks do, and, 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 and you know, like, like all of us in Hawaii, we all have real jobs, and, you know, we hope that mm-hmm. our, our projects turn into uh, commercial successes. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jesse, in terms of the stuff that you're working on, as you start to see more content being created, uh, and you're, you're, you've already commented that, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of interest in this, what is your take on, on VR and the traction, uh, uh, I guess the traction that it's, it's getting, especially yeah. during this pandemic? Yeah, you know, I, I, I really think VR is, is we're in the midst of taking off, but you have to kind of change your perspective of what you think VR really is. And mm-hmm. I think the metaverse is part of that conversation. I think a lot, uh, many people are seeing the hardware as a thing that is is the the barometer of VR success. How many Oculus Rifts have have been sold, or or the index that people are buying, or these things you see, or your phone. But it's not just that visual technology. It's it's us getting ourselves into these virtual environments and and simulating our realities in them. And that's already happening. There's already virtual spaces like Fortnite and uh, virtual worlds and um, like and VR chat. And those people who are using those programs are really interested in tracking themselves, their bodies, their, their movements, and their art, and getting them into these worlds so they can share them. So I, I think that has exploded in the last year. Um, the platforms to trade and sell and, and, and post your work, and it's just been amazing. And, and, uh, and Patrick, from your vantage point, in terms of, let's say, uh, Kilohoku, do you see the content that you've created being embraced by more people and i guess to to jesse's point uh, aside from um you know maybe just the access to kilohoku i mean the adoption of of the variety of virtual reality types of environments uh even with the popularity of esports i mean what is your take on uh, the traction that vr is is currently getting I think it's been just growing over the past four or five years that I've been working in the space. Um, one thing that's gotten a lot easier is with all these different VR headsets floating around, you had to go through individual development processes for each one. And it's finally getting to a point where we have sort of a standardized tool set that we can use to build uh, virtual reality applications. And that really is going to help springboard more and more development of these kinds of experiences. And once we can get the tools out there that allow people to more easily develop for the, very, uh, for the variety of VR platforms that are out there, we're going to see a continued explosion of all these different experiences and applications. And like Jesse was saying, we've now got more tech that allows us to do full body tracking in addition to the VR. And being able to express oneself inside of a virtual space alongside a bunch of other people really is, is where the whole thing is going, I think. Well, and, and uh, Patrick, you just mentioned something about tools and, and the uh, enablement of content creation with these tools. Uh, my, my engineer is signaling me. Maybe what we'll do is we'll hold that thought because uh, we'll take a short break. And, of course, uh, when we con- we'll continue our conversation about VR with Patrick Karjala and Jesse Thompson. And we want to get into how do we get more content creation happening here in Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. 
Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Bert Lum, and if you're just joining us, we're talking to Patrick Karjala. He's a developer over at uh, Kilu Hoku VR, and Jesse Thompson, Technical Director of Anatomical Imaging over at Jabsum. And we're talking about VR and, of course, the tools that uh, enable the content, the creation of content. And we'll also talk about the metaverse. Right before the break, uh, Patrick, we were talking about what is it going to take to actually get some of these tools in the hands of creators? Uh, is it is that happening in Hawaii? Do we see a lot of folks uh, getting into content creation? Yes, we do. Um, there's a whole bunch of different tooling platforms that go into creating content for VR, from 3D modeling technology that creates the things that you actually see in the 3D spaces, uh, the actual programming tools or engines behind making all of these things come together, such as Unity 3D or Unreal. And then we're now seeing further adoption of not just being able to see VR in a virtual reality headset using something made specifically, say, for a Windows computer or an Oculus Rift platform or something like that. Web VR has exploded as another platform that you can now develop these uh, VR experiences for. And to interact with these, all you need is a web browser. And by getting that ubiquity, we're able to finally start getting VR experiences into the hands of people, and all they really need is a web browser on a device, and they can get started from there. Now, now uh, uh, <clears throat> I guess, Jesse, you know, in terms of what, what Patrick just described, I mean, uh, you know, where are uh, these content creators cropping up? Is it, is it at the university? Are there, are there any commercial entities here that are really developing VR content? I mean, uh, is this still kind of more of a, a hobby? I, d- I definitely think that, um, well, well, first of all, we, we, we um, have several internships with the Academy of Creative Media at UH Manoa, mm-hmm. and we have some amazing students that have been learning with us and build, creating with us. Um, a lot of these, we have a whole workflow of scanning uh, and working on models, and then they often add artistic uh, parts for teaching onto them. And uh, so I think that internship has been very successful. And I, like I mentioned, we've, we've gotten nearly 500 models, and I don't think we would have done it without the help of those students from Creative Media. Uh, and and, uh, and they are, they are, we are working with them uh, for credit for, the, for those models, and we go through a whole pipeline with them. Now, in terms of uh, the, the pathway that those students ultimately end up uh, going through, I mean, once they create or well, have the, let's say, the... Um, uh, learning experience and perhaps uh, some expertise around the tools. Are they able to find jobs in this area in Hawaii? Um, there, I think there's a lot of possibility for remote work. We, we're kind of going through our first round of interns, but um, we we have had some that we've actually hired afterwards uh, for doing uh, freelance work and creating anatomical models. Mm-hmm. Um, I I haven't worked with any directly here on projects, but I myself am doing freelance work for uh, people uh, even overseas uh, uh, doing 3D work for them. So uh, I definitely think there's a market for people making content. And especially now, uh, as Patrick was saying, there's so many collaborative tools and platforms available now to work remotely, uh, especially in 3D. And uh, I think that's a that you you have a very broad horizon and internationally as well, uh, which I think is very exciting. And yeah. 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 So, Patrick, I mean, what, what's your thoughts on on doing the role, you know, like the work here, the VR content creation here, but working uh, here in Hawaii for a company that perhaps is located somewhere else? Absolutely. Um, because of, and unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we've really had to adapt to a remote work situation. And 
I think this kind of ties into virtual reality as well. Is As virtual reality grows and becomes more ubiquitous, we're able to essentially start treating it as a workplace. We're not quite there yet, but eventually, and Jesse had brought up the metaverse earlier, the idea of the metaverse as being this place where people can convene to do not just commerce and interact with each other and to create content, but to also, you know, do work and get paid for the things that they're doing in the metaverse as well. It kind of encompasses this entire idea of I'm going to be able to log into this thing and be able to do everything in my life through this, this supposed metaverse concept. Uh, in addition to that, I wanted to say that um, Lava at UH Manoa is also doing a lot of work in this space, mostly dealing with um, larger augmented reality and sort of um, expanding VR into a real space and then being able to interact with it using physical things in your actual environment. And they're doing a lot of cool work on that as well. And and so, uh, Jesse, and uh, I know you both have mentioned the metaverse, and the metaverse was, I think, for, first coined by Neil Stevenson in his uh, book, yep. uh, Snow Crash. And, Snow Crash, and of yeah. course, uh, it, it recently got a lot of attention because uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook has talked That's about right. how Facebook wants to spend a lot of its <clears throat> kind of uh, development for creating the the metaverse environment. So, so Jesse, I mean, what exactly is that metaverse environment? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who have different visions of what the metaverse is going to be, and I, I definitely think Facebook's is more on the line, as, as you mentioned, Neil Stevenson's vision, which honestly is, is very much influenced by engineers at, at Second Life who went on to work at Facebook mm-hmm. and kind of influenced that, that uh, purchase of Oculus. But I think they want to be this this over-encompassing company that is uh, kind of running this virtual space that has all these services for for you to live and work in. And uh, if that's a, in a 2D, 3D environment, that's what the kind of company they want to be. They want to be this 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 platform for, for you to have a almost uh, another life in uh, that you can work and play and 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 communicate with everyone you care about. Um, and and I think there's there's companies who are going to be selling picks and shovels like Nvidia and but I've also noticed other companies like Epic they're silently buying all the the means of making all this content. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, so you do have companies that are moving in, in into trying to carve a niche in this metaverse uh, that may end up being multiple platforms, may end up being multiple metaverses. And I think I think Nvidia is calling their platform Omniverse to kind of cover everything uh, as far as tools go. So I definitely think Facebook is trying to build this basically world or universe that they're going to have uh, let you uh, kind of build your life in or manage. And uh, I think that's going to be an end goal for them. So, so Patrick, how do, how do we in Hawaii carve out a place for us to be a part of the, the sort of digital future of the metaverse? I think that in order for us to really get a part of it, um, the people who want to be a part of it just need to start creating anything in these spaces that are currently available to us. And as we continue to create this content, um, and as the metaverse kind of starts to coalesce, as Jesse mentioned, around either Facebook's idea of it or NVIDIA's idea of it, or even beyond Facebook and NVIDIA, maybe somebody else comes out of nowhere and creates some (laughs) interoperable tool suite that everybody can use. Um, As long as people here in Hawaii are making sure that they're trying out new things and getting involved with the technology that's out there, they're definitely going to be on board and able to participate in this new economy and, and space that we don't even know what it's going to look like yet, but it's very exciting. Hey, Jesse, yeah. in, the, in the last uh, 30 seconds, maybe 15 seconds, I mean, where, where mm-hmm. would people, where would you point people to get, get more into this 
uh, you know, into this area of, of uh, the metaverse or the or VR? Honestly, you know, if, if you want a good intro into it, uh, get on YouTube and, and check out people having a good time in VR chat or other virtual worlds. Um, and if you're interested in creating it, you can either go the route of a programmer and start loading code. Python's a good place to start. Or you can start learning uh, how to make 3D models in, in Blender. 2D art skills are, are, are great, too. So I, I, you can always build yourself up from creating. Uh, and don't be afraid of uh, if it doesn't look right the first time because you can always iterate and get better and put so, your stuff out there. Well, that's great. Uh, and I'll put that up on our show notes, uh, some, some suggestions. Patrick Carjala is a developer at uh, Kilo Hoku VR. Jesse Thompson, technical director over at the... Jabsom School of Medicine and of course I want to thank them both for joining us today and of course thank you for listening to Bite Marsh Cafe join us next week when we'll talk about GEAR Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund awardees and of course if you miss any part of this edition you can find a podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org and if you have any comments or suggestions feel free to email me at bitemarks at gmail.com you can also find me on Twitter I'm at bitemarks our engineers, David Chong, can catch us on HPR One every Wednesday or anytime via the HPR app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You stay safe. You stay awesome. We'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Mm-hmm.